This morning we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'll give you a chance to find that in your Bible. Again, it's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And once you get that, if you're able, I would ask that you would stand for the reading of the word. Starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. And thank you, Alan, for your prayer. I, Happy New Year. And are you glad it's here? <laughs> yeah. And yet we want to pray, as Alan did, that we go into this year not just longing for happiness and it to, to be easier, but man, we do hope it is. <laughs> so uh, amen to that. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, we're studying the book of Isaiah, and we would love for you to join us in reading it, uh, read it weekly in preparation for our gathering together here, uh, study a passage of it, memorize, meditate, uh, maybe choose a passage like Isaiah 6 or Isaiah 53, some of the famous memorable passages, and, and start meditating on those, memorizing, pushing it deep into your heart, and then study it with us in, on Sunday mornings, gather with us, so read it, uh, meditate on it, and, and then dig in with us to Isaiah, this amazing Old Testament prophecy uh, that has the potential really to, and this is going to surprise you when I say this, um, I, I don't think anything has the potential to radically change your life like a fresh vision of God. So what a great way to kick off this year to start with Isaiah in chapter 6, which uh, in some ways is the real formal introduction of the book. He's got a fresh vision of God, and it's a life-changing, life-altering, transforming vision of God. I, I, I think it, it is the case that nothing is more practical than this. Now, this might not seem intuitive at first, but trust me on this, because you, what you're going to want to do as you look forward to the problems of 2021 is fix those problems and just go straight to them. But I, I think what we're going to see from Isaiah is something incredibly practical. Let me, let me say it like this. When God is big, you will see everything in life differently. You will be more patient, easily contented, 
agreeable. You'll have the humility to listen, the freedom to be misunderstood, the freedom to give your life away in the love and service of others. There, there must be a million good things that will come from seeing God for who He really is, from grasping an amazing big vision of God. But when you lose that vision of God, your problems become the center of your life. And the anxiety that you feel about your checking account or COVID exposure or the family problem or admitting that you have a serious addiction and you need help and every time you think about asking for help that anxiety level rises all of these kinds of things where anxiety is driving your life can sort of grow into this monster that just intimidates you every day I believe according to the testimony of scripture that how you view God has more practical potential to change your life than just about anything else. How you view God, how you see God is incredibly relevant to daily living. And that's what we do as pastors like our whole life long is try to get people, including ourselves, to believe that what you see, how you view and see God really does matter for your life every day. Let me give you an analogy to kind of start this, start this off. Uh, suppose, this is a question for you. Suppose you want to inspire a man to build a boat so that he can sail the seven seas. Like you've been charged with inspiring this person to build a boat so he can sail the seven seas. Where would you start? Would you start with, uh, in the office with the architectural drawings and a lengthy materials list and a four, 12 to 14 hour a day work schedule and getting all that budgeted out and showing the difficulty of the task and, all, and the reality of the, like, would you start there? Or what do you think about this? Another option. Hey, hop in the car with me and six hours later, you arrive at the Outer Banks just in time for sunrise and you stand on the edge of the vastness of that ocean and you say, do you see that? We need to figure out how to get out there as far as we possibly can. Which one do you think would be more effective? I think it would be more effective to say, let's stand on the edge. Let's get out of the office and let's go stand on the edge and see right? See forward. Get a vision for this dream, right? So my ministry as a pastor is a lot like Isaiah's ministry as a prophet in this way. I want to bring you with me to the edge of the seashore, and I want you to see things that we have never seen before. I want you to see out into oceans deep where God will amaze you, and it will radically connect and change in here in lasting profound ways. I want you to see how vast, how beautiful, how transcendent, how powerful, how amazing, how big God is. Because I'm convinced that while I could roll out a New Year's kind of serving how to fix your life this coming year, that will not be half as effective as helping you see what Isaiah sees.
A vision of God will change the way you think and act and hope. So I want to pray for that right now. God, I pray uh, that you will help us as your people. And you could just join me in this prayer. Just kind of quietly voice this to yourself. Lord, help us to see what Isaiah saw. Help us to see you. Lord, help today not just to be another first Sunday of a new year in church. God, we are so tired of resolutions that don't result in change. God, help us to see you. Help us to see you and let it affect us like it affected Isaiah, we pray in Christ's name. There are four distinct movements in this life-altering vision of God. I want you to see each one of them. Number one, he sees God. First of all, he sees God for who he truly is. Now, according, this is in verses one, two, and three. According to John's gospel, no one has ever seen God because God is spirit until his son shows up. But no one has ever seen God because God is spirit. On occasion, he reveals himself in glorious and dramatic ways and lets prophets and, and people see who he is. And then he captures that in his word for us so that it might instruct us, right? And that's what's happening here in this famous passage of Isaiah 6. We get to see who God is. In the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1, mark this, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I, I was able to see something I had never really seen before. And he was high and lifted up. He was on a throne. And the train of his robe filled up the temple. Remember, the prophets are also poets, and, and Isaiah is not just giving us a time stamp on this revelation. He's not just telling us historically this is when it happened, when King Uzziah died. No, he's got more going on than that. This, this is a clue to the kingly nature of God himself. So I would read this first line like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, read, in the year that King Uzziah left his throne empty, I saw into the throne room of God whose throne is never empty. I saw the Lord. This isn't just, this is not about King Uzziah. This is about God who is the king. This is about Isaiah seeing the king who is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is teaching us something about what he discovered about who God is. God is king. And he sees three perfections of God. He sees his majesty, he sees his transcendence, and he sees his holiness. Look at this in verse one. Notice the majesty of this king, right? He sits on a throne, that's what kings do. He wears a robe, that's what kings do. And he's surrounded by attendants who all minister to him and do his bidding. That's what kings do. He's exalted as a sovereign authority and this majesty evokes a sense of worship in Isaiah. It sounds a lot like Psalm 93 and verses one and two. The Lord reigns, listen to this, Psalm 93. The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. You put something on before you came to church this morning 
and you know, I threw on a jacket and some of you threw on a sweater uh, or a Hawaiian shirt uh, or you, know, you put something on this morning. Guess what God wears all the time? He never takes it off. Majesty, royalty, the kind of thing that would elicit and evoke a sense of worship the moment you saw it. And that's what's happening to Isaiah. He senses God's majesty. And, and then he also senses God's transcendence. Look at this phrase in verse 1. I saw him high and lifted up. That speaks of God's greatness in terms of size and separation and distance. Isaiah, Isaiah feels at the same time God's bigness and his what? His smallness. His out-of-reachness. His separation, he's below, he's distant from God. God is way up there. He's high and lifted up. The imagery is designed to say God is huge. He's, he's up there. And then there's another element to this transcendence. You see it in the, in the next line. The train of his robe filled the temple. That's a beautiful picture of how huge God is the train. Now, some renderings, if you have a note in your study Bible, you might see this. Some renderings have it, the hem of his garment, the hem of his robe, filled the temple. Like, this is poetic imagery. That is to say, you can't imagine how big this robe is. You can't imagine how big, the, if the hem of his garment is this big. You can't imagine how big this God is. He's amazingly transcendent. Like, don't ever forget how small and limited and creaturely you are. Isaiah sees these perfections unfolding in this vision. And the third one he sees, he sees majesty, he sees transcendence, and then he sees what? Holiness. He sees the holiness of God. This is a little foreign to us. Because very few things are sacred anymore. Holiness is about sacredness and about separation and about perfection. In his vision, he sees above God, that's pretty amazing because God's already high and lifted up, but he's got these angelic ministers, these seraphim. So the seraphim are, uh, the seraphim are angels. It's, a, it's an English, so basically for seraphim, it's a Hebrew word that we took and added English letters to to just kind of sound it out. So, so seraphim, there's no English word apart from it being coming from the Hebrew. So it just means angels. It means burning ones. It means angelic ministers of, of burning glory, something like that. There above, look, and above him stood the seraphim, and each have six wings, with two he covers his face, an indication of humility, with two he covers his feet, an indication of willingness and obedience to serve at the Lord's pleasure as soon as he wants him to, and with two, he flew, an indication that this worshiping creature is worshiping someone who's bigger and higher, and he has to be flying in that space to, to do his ministry as an angel. And one of them called to the other 
and I don't think it was just kind of a one, I can't prove this, but I don't, my, my sanctified imagination is such that this is not just kind of a one-time statement. It seems like there's a choral, uh, there's, there's some sort of choral voice going on back and forth. Um, at the very least, though, one calls to another and says, holy, 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 three times is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, may the whole earth, one way to render that, May the whole earth be full of his glory. Isaiah sees God in his holiness. The angels testify of God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty. The whole, may the whole earth experience his glory. When you see these perfections, majesty, transcendence, holiness, in, the, in, in Isaiah's vision of God, when you see them and you situate them in the context of Judah's hopeless situation, right, which is a major theme of the book because they're experiencing God's judgment. When you see it that way, the death of King Uzziah cannot just be read as a historical marker. That's not just a timestamp. It is a way of Isaiah saying this, God wants to be the king of his people. God wants to be, again, the sovereign, trusted authority of his own people. That is the message of the book of Isaiah. As you're thinking forward in, in our study, think about this. God, God as king, God is the king. He wants to be the king of my heart. What's one of the main ideas you want to hang on to throughout our study? It's this. God, the sovereign king of the world, wants to be enthroned on my heart as my king, who I delight to worship and obey and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole, may the whole earth experience his glory. That's what God wants us to voice. And look at what happens next in verse 4. When, I say, when Isaiah sees God for who he is, what happens? Verse four, and the foundations of the thresholds of the, of the house, house and temple are the same thing in this passage, so the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice who called out, holy, holy, holy. That's amazing because the messengers even of God, just these small messengers of God make the whole place like tremble because God is so amazing. That's what his messengers do. And the thresholds and the foundation, all the way down to the foundation, you could feel it like an earthquake, he says. And the place was filled with smoke, a sign of God's power and a a symbol of God's majesty and glory. And Isaiah can't do anything except collapse under the weight of his unworthiness. Now, I, I don't know if we're ready for that. Uh, I don't know if we're ready for that. Are you willing, like Isaiah, 
to confess your unworthiness and your guilt and your utter inability to stand before God so that you literally, you, you, you feel the weight of this vision. Like you see God, He's high and lifted up and you're like, and you just feel, you just collapse under the weight of who God is and feel your unworthiness and confess what He confesses in verse five. He confesses His unworthiness and guilt. Are you willing to make this kind of confession. Verse five, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe, as it's used in the Bible, means judgment is coming. Isaiah feels this on himself. Like Jesus walked around talking about this. Jesus was the embodiment of both the grace and the judgment of God. Judgment in the sense that God's judgment would be poured out on him for us. So Jesus was all the time walking around saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. The judgment of God is coming. Isaiah says that about himself. He's like, woe to me. The judgment, like what I feel right now is the judgment of God is coming. I see who he is. I feel the judgment of God coming. Um, and, and look at the terms he uses to describe this woeful state. I'm lost, I'm unclean, and I belong to unclean people. I'm lost. He says, woe is me for I am lost. I'm disoriented. I'm unable to find my way back home. It's something like that feeling when you're supposed to be at your friend's wedding and the GPS has gone bad and you're 25 minutes late. You don't think you're gonna get there on time. You don't know where you are and, and, and you feel hopeless in that moment. Or it might even be, it's something like uh, the feeling you have when you're falling, that completely out of control feeling of what's about to happen. Isaiah says, I'm lost. I'm completely disoriented. I didn't see this coming. When you're lost, you have to choose. Listen, when you're lost, you have to choose whether or not you will humble yourself and cry out for help or for, in this case, atonement, clean, like cleansing, washing. He says, I'm lost. Secondly, he says, I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, this is interesting because what we think is happening here is this is a way of Isaiah saying, my heart is unclean. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. But what he means by that and his thinking is that what comes out of my mouth is unclean because what is in my heart is unclean. Remember, again, Jesus would say, it's out of the heart that man speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart that man speaks, the problem's not with the lips, the problem is with the heart. Isaiah knew that very thing. This is a way of him saying, it's not just my lips that are unclean, my heart is unclean. And, to make matters worse, I dwell among an unclean people. I belong to them, and they belong to me. This would be absolutely critical for his prophetic ministry to mean anything. Because if it's just them who need to get clean, Isaiah has no integrity in his ministry. I think that's why he starts with, I'm unclean. My heart's unclean. My lips 
speak out of the abundance of my heart. And I belong to people who are just like me. We are all like this, Isaiah says. Again, why does Isaiah have this overwhelming sense of woe? Look at the end of verse 5. How does, he, how does he see his condition? I mean, note to self here. If you're listening, if you're taking notes, note to self. How is it that he discovers his condition? End of verse five. His eyes have seen God. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And that's re- completely reorienting my, my sense of who I am. It's recalibrating my understanding of who I am and what I need. And, and, and I understand this, like modern Modern self-made people don't like to hear this. So I'm doing a little, I'm giving you a second to warm up to this. Okay, modern, successful, self-made people do not like to admit this kind of need. The kind of need that reaches down to the core of who we are. That would say I'm lost, I'm unclean, I'm guilty, woe is me. Are you willing to admit that you are that in need of God? Are you willing to admit that you're that in need of cleansing, that much in need of redemption? Because until you do, you can never taste this thing that we call grace. You could never taste it. You could never experience it. I mean, the good news of the gospel is that you have this, you feel this amazing weight of God's judgment on on you, and then something, and then you confess and acknowledge and agree that that guilt is real and that you are unclean, and then something miraculous happens, and that takes us to number three. You ready? Here it comes. Look at what happens in verse six, because here in my sanctified imagination, I've got Isaiah laying under the weight uh, of his unworthiness, crushed on, it's like that moment when he's in the throne room before the king, and everybody's waiting to see what's the king gonna do? What's the king gonna do? And he's feeling, he's, he's, he's bowed down in his unworthiness before God. What's the king gonna do? Is he gonna damn me to the dungeon of hell? What's the king gonna do? And it's like everybody's watching. Everybody in the throne room is watching. Isaiah is kind of collapsed before, bowed down before the king on the floor, and, it's, and, and we're waiting. What's the king going to do? And while we're waiting, the seraphim, verse 6, flew up to him. Now, this is not some rogue angel who just wanted to do a good deed for the day. That's not what's happening. This angel, this seraphim in verse 6, has been sent by God purposefully to bring a gospel moment to Isaiah. He personally, look at this, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar in the temple. 
and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah receives cleansing and forgiveness and reconciliation. This is the first official gospel moment in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is hopeless. He's crushed under the weight of his unworthiness. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. But God comes to him in the form of this messenger and touches him and heals him and cleanses him and reconciles him and purges him and he personally like God doesn't touch people this is what made the this was what blew the minds of of the people during the New Testament period that Jesus would walk around touching people forgiving their sins cleansing them healing them telling them you've got a new future a new hope you can go spend forever with God you can experience eternal life if you trust in me this is what Isaiah experienced his guilt removed, his sin atoned for. Alec Motyer said it this way, the live burning coal captures this live burning coal here in verse five, in verse six. This live burning coal captures the ideas of atonement, propitiation, satisfaction, forgiveness, cleansing, reconciliation, and this doomed sinner, Isaiah, immediately knows the moment the coal touches his lips, I'm forgiven. My sin ransom has been paid. Has grace touched you? Your heart, your lips, your soul has the burning, cleansing grace of God come to you personally. This is what we believe. Christianity teaches that you can experience this in and through Jesus Christ. Like, you don't have to live under the crushing weight of your unworthiness. The good news is, yeah, you're definitely unworthy. The good news is, Jesus is perfectly, amazingly worthy. And he came for the very reason of being your substitute. Jesus Christ gave himself in sacrifice on the cross to meet the demands of a holy God so that you and I could sing, nothing in my hands I bring, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, Naked come to helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, unclean to the fountain, I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Like, wash me. There's no other way. This is the gospel moment that you're looking for. Isaiah is this amazing. Uh, prophet who's been transformed by the grace and atonement of God. That's the only reason he can go and do what he does. We're going to see that unfolding. It's going to be shocking. It's going to feel hard. There are going to be some really difficult passages in the weeks and months to come. He's going to say things that there's no way he'd be ready to say. 
if he were not underwritten by the grace of God. Yeah, I, I got to stay on my, my next point, but I, I would love to riff here on just what that means for the Christian life and for what you and I should spend time talking about and doing and making a big deal in people's lives. But let me take you to number four because the buses are waiting and just kidding. That's a Billy Graham reference, right? When he was preaching, the buses are waiting. Okay. Here's what happens to Isaiah. After this, he responds to God's call on his life. Look at verse 8. The immediate effect of his cleansing, and I say immediate, I, I, I'm choosing this word, right? Purposefully. The immediate effect of his cleansing and his forgiveness is reconciliation and a willingness to respond. Don't think so long and hard about whether or not you're going to respond to the Lord. You'll talk yourself out of it. The immediate effect of this reconciliation and forgiveness and cleansing Verse, verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He hears God's voice again. This is a sign of reconciliation. Communication is back, right? Isaiah first saw the Lord at a great distance, utterly separated by his fallen condition. Now he's close enough to hear the voice of God. Once silenced by sin, he, he collapsed under the woe of threatening judgment. He's now free to speak and say, here I am. Lord, will you use me? Will you send me? The man who's lost, right? I am lost, he said. The man who said I'm lost is now home. He's found. And so Isaiah is ready and willing to do whatever God wants him to do. And we need that. You need that in your life. You need this sense of willingness to respond to the Lord when he prompts you to do something to act on that and to stop sorting through all the reasons why you can't do that. I have a friend who um, has been struggling with some pretty deep addiction and for years he would not ask anybody for help. He said, I'd come right up to the edge of asking somebody for help and then I got afraid of all the dominoes that were going to fall. He kept thinking about it, thinking about what obedience would look like, thinking about the train wreck of his life. Don't spend time thinking about that. When you see God for who he is, when you're collapsed under the weight of his, of his glory and holiness and your own unworthiness, and he comes to you to clean you, touch you, forgive you, reconcile you, just stand up and in that moment say, here I am, send me, I'm ready. I don't know what you'll do with me, Lord. I don't know where you'll take me. But I don't treasure my own control of my life anymore. I don't treasure my sin like I did. I want to respond with an immediate sense of 
here I am. Where do you want me to go? Now, thankfully, God is not going to send you to Judah to tell them desolation is coming. <laughs> All right, that's not going to happen. If, if you sense God is sending you to Judah to pronounce these woes, set up an office hour, set up an appointment with us. I want to help you sort through that. That's not happening. But he is calling you. And he might be stirring in you a life of service. He might be calling you to give your life in mission, to take the gospel to the nations. He may be calling you to work with local families here in this, in this community who are, who are bankrupt and helpless and don't have things. Uh, he, might be, he might be calling you to teach a Bible study class or start a new community group or disciple somebody one-on-one. Here's what we know. We know that when, when you respond to his call, you're ready to give your life away. Somehow, somehow every single one of us is called and entrusted with the giving of our lives away in worship, in service, and in mission. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe the Lord is stirring in your heart that you should consider pastoral ministry or church planting or helping the elderly. I, I don't know what he's, but, but I do know this. If you, if you think about it too long, you're going to talk yourself out of it. Look at what Isaiah does. Here I am. Send me. And why, why is this so important? Here, here's why. And I, I, I don't want to just, I don't want to beat a dead horse. You've heard this before. Um, grace is never just for me. Grace is never just for you. And so in God's economy, when you receive it, you're now willing to go. You're now ready to send. You're now ready to give. And so Isaiah responds. Grace and reconciliation are never just for me, never just for you. God is calling each of us to go, to serve, to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but if you start responding, I think the Lord will make it clear and clear and clear. So what I wanna do as we're coming in for a landing is put this, I wanna put this ball, this is, this is your deal. You respond. And if you don't feel a readiness, it's okay if you don't feel a readiness to respond today, but, but don't miss this part of it. That, that the absence of that readiness to respond might be tied to the chain we just linked together. Vision of God, confessing my unworthiness, receiving his mercy, his cleansing, his reconciliation, and then being willing to be sent. I want you to hold those things together. And if you're not ready yet, Again, that's okay, we're, we're not, we can't make each other ready. I can't do that, you can't do that, but God can do that. But it's tied to seeing God for who he is. So as we go into 2021, this is the thing that's gonna sound so counterintuitive. You've already got a plan for 2021. You know what you're doing. You, you, th those of you who are planners and you're strategizers, those of you who are not, you're like, hey, you're gonna hit 2021 like I did last year. It's gonna be, you know, wait, that didn't work out anyway. Uh, listen, tie this year to, your, to seeing God for who he is. Like press into things you've never seen before about who God is. Will you pray that with me?
and we'll see where he takes us. Lord, we want to see you high and glorious. Lord, we want to see you as so much bigger than our problems, so much bigger than the things we're trying to sort out frantically. God, somehow help us to see your majesty, your greatness, your holiness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Isaiah that we can read and see into and by your spirit be awakened to these amazing truths of who you are. So by your spirit, awaken us. Help us to see. And Lord, would you help us to respond with immediate obedience? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's Let's sing and make this your prayer as we sing and worship together.